Well, we're going to jump right into the message uh, today. There's uh, another Christmas is now in the books, right? Uh, presents have all been opened and returned uh, because you usually get stuff that you don't want uh, necessarily. Um, Maybe some of you have taken your tree down. We haven't, we haven't de-Christmasized the, the church yet. That'll take place uh, this coming week. Um, relatives maybe have left. Uh, maybe for some of you, it, uh, that was a welcome thing. For some of you, you were sad to see them go. But now we stand kind of in this, this space. right? We, we had this conversation when we were uh, after Thanksgiving, thanks. The Sunday after Thanksgiving is kind of no man's land because Thanksgiving's over, but Christmas hasn't started yet. And uh, and this is kind of a, another one of those interesting uh, times in this space in between Christmas, but the beginning of the new year, where we we get to celebrate uh, the the new year, another new year taking place. Uh, I'm curious how you will celebrate the new year. Because people all over the world celebrate in different ways. I don't know if you know this or not, uh, but just to give you some examples. uh, In France, they feast and they toast. That's not unlike us a little bit. Uh, In the Philippines, they eat 12 different rounds of fruit to symbolize good luck for the next 12 months, and then they throw loud parties to scare away evil spirits. I'm just going to tell you right now, if I ate 12 rounds of fruit, I don't have to throw a party to scare away evil spirits. Right? It's just going to happen. In Greece, they play card games and they feast, followed by Basil's pie, where a coin is hidden in one slice of the pie, and whoever gets the slice of pie with the coin in it is said to have good luck for the next year. In Spain, they eat 12 grapes at the stroke of midnight in anticipation of the next 12 months that are to come. In the U.S., we drink 12 grapes. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) And in colder countries, they organize cold water plunges like the polar bear plunge to raise awareness for a cause. And devout Jews celebrate the the Tashlik, which is uh, during their new year, and they throw rocks into a flowing body of water symbolizing the throwing off of the mistakes of the past year. And then they eat something sweet symbolizing a taste of what might come in in the year to come. In America, we for those of us who can, stay up to experience the dropping of the ball, right? I've gotten old enough now to where I fall asleep at about 10. Uh, But the ball comes down, the stroke of midnight, we kiss the ones that we love or whoever's standing next to us. We wake up the next morning, we wake up the next morning and we watch a little college football, right? That's how we celebrate the new year. But however you might celebrate this year, celebrating New Year's often finds us contemplating, right? It's contemplating the year that has been, but also contemplating this year that is yet to come. And it's in the contemplation that we find ourselves somewhere between reflection and resolution. We find ourselves somewhere between reflection and anticipation of what's to come. In reflection, we think about the good, the bad, the ugly of of the past, right? Maybe for some of us, 2018 hasn't been all that pretty, right? And so we reflect on on the past, and in resolution, we find ourselves hopeful 
that this next year might contain something different in it if we would just change something, if we would just make one tweak in our life. Unfortunately, it's in the tension between reflection and and resolution that that we often find our, our dreams becoming born. At LifeHouse this year, this coming year, we get to start another year together. And we're excited about the, the things that are to come. We're excited about some changes and some, some tweaks and the ability to see God move and work in our, our church in ways that maybe he's never even done before. For some of us, the, the skill of dreaming, though, has, has waned. We, we've stopped dreaming. It's, it's trapped. Our, our ability to dream is trapped somewhere in the past. Somewhere where we've, we've given up on, because we've told ourselves that growing up means giving up on our dreams. Right? Maybe, maybe for some of you, you've, you've just resolved your fact that you don't get to experience the things that God has birthed in you long ago. The story is told of the time where Albert Einstein was taking a train to an out-of-town engagement, and the conductor came to Albert Einstein and asked him for his ticket. And Einstein, in the midst of his work, is, is frantically looking for his ticket. It's not in his pocket, and he's, he's looking around in his papers, and he, he just can't seem to find his ticket. And the, the conductor says, Dr. Einstein, it's okay. We know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't, don't worry about it. And so the conductor walks away, but then he turns back and he looks and sees Albert Einstein sitting there. He's just frantically looking all over for this ticket. He's looking under the seats, he's down on his knees, and and the conductor comes back and says, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. Don't worry about it. You don't have to worry about it. I know who you are. You you don't need a ticket. And he looks looks up to the conductor and says, I too know who I am, but I don't know where I'm going. See, I think for some of us, we, we, we inherently know who we are. We know that, as we sang just a, a moment ago, we know that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We know that we are, are children of God. The challenge is, is that oftentimes we don't know where we're going or we don't know how to live as children and sons of God. See, there are a lot of Christians who know who they are They just don't quite know where they're going, and they seem to wander aimlessly in our faith. We know what it is to have experienced freedom, but we don't know what it is to live as free people. We've stopped dreaming, and we've replaced dreaming with fantasizing. See, we're really good at fantasizing. We fantasize about another life, about another place, another job, a better circumstance than we find ourselves right now. We, we find ourselves, when we get to a place to where we stop dreaming and we now are just surviving, we find ourselves fantasizing. What would it look like if we started 2019 daring to dream again? Not fantasizing of a different life, but really starting to find ourselves in God's dream. 
in his dream for our future, in his dream. And you know what? His dream begins where we find ourselves right now. I think it's interesting that we live in a world where people struggle to sleep. But we also live in a world in which people have difficulty living life fully awake. I want to talk this morning about God's dream for our life. Because it's no secret that God dreams, right? He, he dreams. In, in fact, in Genesis chapter 1, he lets us in on his dream. He tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply, to rule and to reign. And we know that it took them all of about three chapters to screw that whole thing up. Right? They, now, all of a sudden, they're being ruled and reigned by the brokenness of sin. But all throughout Scripture, what we see is, is God not giving up on his dream. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. Some translations say his workmanship, created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here's Paul, he's addressing this, this church, he's addressing this group of, of Ephesians, these, these people from Ephesus, this church, and he's, he's telling them, not only are you set free, because the previous verses said that you are, are saved by grace through faith, that you are, you are a free people, but he says, not only are you a free people, you are God's workmanship, you are his his creation, you are, the, the word for workmanship there is poema. You are God's poem that he has created. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what curveball has been thrown your way, God has not given up on his poem. He's not given up on his dream. So what does it mean to be a people to dream again? See, somewhere along the way, we, we, we've forgotten how to dream. We, we get into survival mode. God has a dream, right? Not, not, for, not for me to get whatever I want. This isn't some naive dream to just to, just to get things. No, it, it's a dream that has your best interest in mind, that has my best interest in mind. He, he has a dream for us, but, but somewhere along the lines, we've gotten into survival mode and forgotten how to dream. Benjamin Franklin says that most men die at 25, but they aren't buried until they're 75 because they've forgotten how to dream. Parker Palmer, in his book, Let Your Life Speak, he, he writes this, I so have identified with this in, in my life. He's talking about this fact that he's just living life, just kind of going through the motions and, and, and on the treadmill of life. And he says, I was doing an incredible, noble job of living someone else's life. And I wonder how many of us have forgotten the God dream that he's birthed in us the thing that he has, has placed inside of us from the very beginning. I wonder how many of us, our, our ears have, have just tuned out the voice of God speaking something of, of danger and something of, of amazing future capacity in our life. I wonder if, if maybe we could wake up this morning to what God's dream is for our life. 
I have to tell you that as the church, we sometimes are part of the problem. See, what happens is, is a lot of times we will invite you into our dream. And by you, or, or ours, I mean the, the leadership, right? We have this plan, and we have this dream of what the church can be. And, and oftentimes, we, we are part of the problem because we're saying, hey, why don't you come help us fulfill our dreams? And, and there's nothing wrong with, with sharing the, the dream and the vision of the church. And we're going to do that in a few weeks. And at the end of January, we're going to have a... a, a a family meeting on a Sunday morning where we're going to share what, what God's doing in the life of our church and where we're going and, and headed into this new season. But just as a pastor, as a, as a leader of the church, I, the Lord's just been working something out in me where I realize that, that maybe, maybe it's not my job to invite you into my dream, but maybe my job is to help you discover what your dream is what God's dream for your life is, and, and how can we as, as pastoral staff come alongside you and help you step into those things? So here's the big thought, that, that God's dream is better than my best fantasy. Right? So as I just said, when, when people forget to dream, our, our lives often deteriorate into survival mode or fantasy and, and we fantasize, like if we, if we just had this or that, or if I was just more like that person, and what happens is, is when we begin to fantasize, we vacillate between this survival and fantasy, and we think that if, if our life, if we just tweak this, we're going into the new year with New Year's resolutions, if we just, if this is the year, this is it. We're going to get it this time. We're going to tweak. We're going to make it happen. And if that takes place, my life will be different. I want to read to you from, I want to read to you a story that you'll be somewhat familiar with. It's from Jeremiah chapter 29, and you're somewhat familiar with it because of the verse Jeremiah 29 11, right? You see it on posters and People quote it all the time. And honestly, I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to even teach on it because it's been used out of context and, and misused and overused. And, and yet there's something about this story. And, and, and the interesting thing is, is we often just focus on, uh, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper. And we're like, yes, yes. But if you read the beginning of the story, you discover what the context of that plans to prosper actually look like. And so I want to read it to you, and you can follow along with me, starting in verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Interesting little context there. He says, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. He says, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. 
This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And then he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So here's the story in the midst of exile. You've got these false prophets that are running around saying, hey, I got this dream. I have this dream. The dream is, is that this is only going to be temporary. We're only going to be here a little bit of a time. And, and these, these prophets are, 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 are sharing these dreams that the people want to hear because they don't want to be in exile forever. And all of a sudden, Jeremiah prophesies to them of what the Lord is saying, and he's saying, listen, you're going to be in exile a while. I've put you there, and, and it's going to, you're going to be there a while. See, we, we, don't, we don't like this part, because we like the part that says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper. We don't like the 70 years in exile, right? That, that's, that's the no good part of the story. But in the midst of their reality of surviving is where God begins to speak. And he doesn't just tell them, I want you to survive. He says, I want you to prosper in the midst of your exile. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. And he he rehashes the dream from long ago. He says, don't decrease in numbers, increase. See, the difference between dreams and reality is that dreams face or the, or the dream, uh, the difference between dreams and fantasy is that dreams face reality and fantasies deny reality. Think about it in this context. Think about your worst day. For, for some of you, it's the loss of a loved one, a parent or a child or a family member. You've, you've lost someone. It's your worst day is, is whatever circumstance that you can think of sickness, a diagnosis. And then I I want you to think about your worst day and play it over and over and over and over again for 70 years. See, what happens is exile is the place where dreams go to die. And yet it's in this place, it's in this place of exile where God dreams actually begin to live. It's easy to get into fantasy mode though, right? It's easy to try to tune out our reality to say, I don't like my current reality and so I want to fantasize about something better, something different, But the big truth that we we learn in this story is that God's dream for our life is not defined by our worst day. It's not. My, My worst day doesn't confine me to my worst life, to the rest of my life. 
You can be in the middle of a season. You can be in the midst of sickness. You can be in the midst of pain and suffering and loss. But it doesn't have to be the thing that defines the rest of your life. One of my favorite pastors that I listen to is Erwin McManus. And he says this, he says, when you judge someone by their worst action, you confine them to their worst self. In the midst of the valley, we're not defined by the activity that we're doing. When we are when we're in the midst of our current reality and it's in the valley and it seems like we can't get out of it, we are not defined by that. In fact, we're not defined by our, our worst day. We are defined by Jesus' best day. That's what defines us. Jim Collins, in his book, Good to Great, he, he writes this book, helping organizations kind of move from being a good organization to a great organization. That's why the title of the book is called From Good to Great. But in his book, he writes about this thing called the Stockdale Paradox. And it's named after Admiral Jim Stockdale, who was a United States military officer, and he was held captive for eight years during the Vietnam War. Some of you may, know, may be familiar with this story. Stockdale was tortured more than 20 times by his captors and never had much reason to believe that he would survive the prison camp and someday get to see his wife again. And yet as Stockdale was being interviewed by Jim Collins, Jim Collins asked him, he's like, well, what got you through it? How did you make it through this time? And he says, during the whole ordeal, I never lost faith. He says, I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which, he says, in retrospect, I would not trade. Jim Collins then, in his interview with him, says, okay, well then tell me about the people that didn't make it out. And he says, oh, that's easy. Those were the optimists. And Jim Collins says, well, what do you mean the optimists? He, he said, well, Although I had remarkable faith in the unknowable, he says that the, it was the most optimistic of his prison mates who failed to make it out of their alive because they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas, and they weren't. And then we're going to be out by Easter, and Easter would come and go, and they wouldn't be out. And then Thanksgiving, and then it would be Christmas again, and ultimately they died of a broken heart. See, what the optimists failed to do was confront the reality of their situation. Instead, they preferred the ostrich approach. You bury your head in the sand and hope that the difficulties go away. And he says that self-delusion might have made it easier on them in the short term, but when they were eventually forced to face reality, it had become too much and they couldn't handle it. This is the description of God's dream in our life. God's dream for our life is not a naive optimism. Instead, it's often birthed in our darkest reality. See, faith begins to, to see through those things. Like, like this, is, this is our reality, and it seems like we can't get through it. Fantasy denies that reality exists, right? But 
but optimism is just like they're, they're just right here. But faith begins to see past the obstacle. It sees, it sees beyond what it is that stands in the way. Faith says that there's going to be something beyond this. God's not trying to get us to, to turn a, a blind eye to the brokenness or the injustice or the consequences of our life. He's, he's stepping into the middle of those things. He's stepping into the, the nothingness and the chaos and, and the crazy, the confusion. And it's in those moments that he speaks and, and a God dream is birthed within us. See, dreams are, God dreams are rooted in the reality of our situation. These false teachers that Jeremiah is talking about are saying, I have a dream. I have this dream that we're going to be out of this place. But God says, no, I actually have a dream. But I not only have a dream, I have a plan. See, there are people who know how to dream but don't know how to plan. And then there's people who know how to plan but they've lost how to dream. There's some people who, who will say, I don't, I don't like plans, right? I, I don't believe in plans because every, every plan that I've ever heard about isn't birthed from a God-inspired dream. And God's saying, I've got a dream but I also have a plan. I'm at 30,000 feet, but I'm also at three feet, right? I'm, I'm, I'm focused on tomorrow, but I'm also in the present. I am here today, and God wants, to, wants your dream to be birthed again. He's never given up on it. Something about the nature of dreams is that dreams aren't accomplished right away. The, the road to the dream isn't a straight line. In fact, it's a lot of, of valleys and mountains. It's a lot of going around the mountain as the Israelites experienced. And it's in those valley moments that God is actually making us someone that can handle the dream that he has for us. There's a guy named Bruce Yanni. He, he does science experiments. And I was trying to think of how we could illustrate this. And uh, and so he does these science experiments on YouTube for kids and adults like me. And, and in this experiment, it's called uh, the high road versus the low road. See, we as, as believers think, as Christians, we think that now that we have Christ, it's the high road. It's the straight line to paradise, baby. We don't want the low road. We don't want the valleys in our life. And yet it's in the valleys that God cultivates the dream for our life. I want you to take a look at, uh, at this illustration in just a second. The, the, the science experiment is there's the high road. It's the shortest point between A and B. And then there's the low road, and it's got three valleys in it. And he uses a, a steel ball and says, which one's going to get there first? The shorter route or the longer route. Go ahead and take a look at this. This is going to be equal.
So, people who are smarter than me know that the difference between potential energy and kinetic energy, right? And that the valleys actually propel the ball quicker than the one that's just going straight. And what a perfect example of, of how we should never try to just force our way onto the high road but in the midst of the valleys, allow God to begin to birth in us and cultivate in us the dream that he's had for us from the beginning. We look for the straight line. But those valleys aren't the dream deferred. It's not that he's saying, oh, you're in the valley, sorry. My dream that I had for you, the plan that I had in place, it's now gone because you've screwed up. You've made a mistake. You took the wrong turn. And now you're in the valley. It's not the dream deferred. It's actually the dream defined. It's the point at which God begins to define the dream and begins to prepare you for the dream that he has. When Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt, they needed a new reality. See, they were free people. They didn't know how to live as free people. I think for many of us, we walk through this life free. We are free, as we just sang about. We're free people. But we don't know how to live as free people. I'll close with the, the story of from October, I believe it's October 10th. So it's a story where some of you may even remember right where you were, where uh, the Chilean miners were rescued. And CNN did an article about the Chilean miners a year after they were rescued. And as they started to interview these miners that were rescued, many of them had left their wives. One man started building a wall around his house. He didn't know why. And the title of the article was, Do the Chilean Miners Need a Second Rescuing? See, I wonder how many of us as followers of Christ, we are saved. But we don't know how to live as free people. We don't know how to live in the midst of the God dream that he's birthed in us. I wonder how many of us need a second rescuing. Let's pray. Father, this is, this is near and dear to my heart. And maybe, possibly, it's, it's just this is, this, is a, this is one of those, not so much a, a message or a teaching, but a confessional of what you're doing inside of me. But ultimately, what I believe you want to do inside of every person that's a part of Lifehouse Church. But there are many who have thought that their dreams were dead, there are many who, because of their decisions and their choices or their circumstances or the valley that they find them in, have thought that their God dream has now been deferred. But God, I believe that as we go into this new year, our dreams are not deferred, they're being defined. That you're cultivating and 
birthing something of new dreams in us. Not even really new dreams, but really the dream that you put in place in our hearts, in our lives from the very beginning, from the moment we were formed in our mother's womb. God, I'm so grateful that we have a God, a Father, who doesn't give up on his poems, on his people, his workmanship, his creation. He doesn't give up on you. He doesn't give up on me. And God, we're grateful for that. And no matter where we are in this stage of life on this earth, God has a dream for you. And you still have a purpose. He still has a plan. And could we step into, not deny our reality, step into our reality and say, God, what do you want to do in the midst of this valley? What do you want to do in me to prepare me for more of the dream that you have in my life? God, for those who are going into this new year, who are looking at 2018 in the rearview mirror and pretty glad that it's over, God, I pray that there wouldn't be a naivety that would say all of a sudden things are going to change because it's a new year. But God, that we would go into 2019 with our eyes wide open knowing that whatever obstacles are in front of us, we can have the faith to see beyond that. And we can step into our reality and recognize, God, that you are bigger than any obstacle that we might face. God, show us. Show us your dream for our life. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite the ushers to come and they're gonna receive the offering. And if you filled out the card, you can drop it in the basket as it goes by. And then we'll close out our time in, in one last song and, and I'm gonna pray for the offering. Father, we, God, we're so, we're so blessed and, and that really is the truth that even in the midst of possibly the most difficult financial situations, we are more blessed than others. And we recognize that all that we have has come from you in the first place. And so, Lord, as we give of our tithes and offerings this morning, we give not, not out of a religious act or to find more favor with you, but, God, we give freely and cheerfully, recognizing that as we give, there is nothing that holds us back from you, not even our finances. In Jesus' name, amen.